Your dad bod is your detriment. You can't tell me that you're proud of where you're at right now. In fact, I've never met a man that didn't want to more, didn't want better. The lies, the excuses that you tell yourself, uh, let's be honest, they have to stop. It's time you commit. It's time you decide to live in the body that will express your highest self. Today's guest not only decided to burn away his dad bod, but to do so by committing to something that is so big, it almost seems a bit crazy. Welcome to the Evolve Podcast. Evolve your body, evolve your mind, evolve your soul, and evolve your tribe. And now, it's time to disrupt. And with that, folks, we want to welcome you to another episode of the Evolve Podcast. Joining me with his special triathlete shirt on from Oberlin, Ohio, uh, the most interesting man that I know is W. Miles Riley. Welcome, Miles. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. And Thank lost you. somewhere in the mountains of Utah, I am Steve Cutler. Uh, folks, we're really excited because today's guest um, is probably the first TikToker that I've ever reached out to. Uh, Max Valverde, uh, you popped up on my TikTok feed as dad bod goes pro and i absolutely loved what i saw um i mean you, you you put a massive smile on my face when i saw your first video and then uh i followed you on instagram had to reach out and uh your story is really cool uh tell our little or tell our listeners a little bit about yourself um but before we do that can you do me a favor yeah i mean uh, okay so on your posts, you do an end cap that I'm wondering if you can kick the episode off with where you typically say, let's do this, baby. And the, you're, the way you do that is awesome. Can you kick us off with a let's do this, baby? To be honest, I, I didn't even realize I do that. But now that you say it, I guess that, you know, when I get fired up and I used to do it when we were doing the company and I don't know, it's like, let's go, baby. Yeah. You know, you got to just get fired up, you know? I love it. Well, Max, tell, tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So um, basically, I uh, was kind of like a sales manager, sales business guy, joined on with a company that my, my best friend in college started, um, grew that with him. We grew it, you know, pretty large and um, had a, a a large team of like 300 people. Uh, we sold that company. My family then moved to Amsterdam in the Netherlands as part of the acquisition and had a great life in Amsterdam, was absolutely loving it. Um, after the lockup period was done, uh, you know, we were thinking about staying in Amsterdam for the rest of our lives. Um, but my wife and I are big mountain bikers. We love skiing in the mountains. And we had to go see about this place, almost like uh, the line in a uh, goodwill hunting, like got to go see about a girl, you know, had to go see about park city and, yeah. and whether you can actually mountain bike every day, you know, or can you ski every day? You know, we were kind of fair weather fans. We were big mountain bikers, big skiers, but we mountain biked and skied like two or three times a year, came out to park city, absolutely loved it. Whereas biking every day of the, of the week, um, for months. Uh, so we moved here kind of on a whim with our three young kids that are now uh, almost three, five and seven. And just for like general mountain life, um, was thinking about what to do next. Uh, you know, a lot of times what I do in life is people will say, you know, I write down all the things that I want to like be, do, and have when I grow up in five, 10, and 20 years. 
a lot of times what we end up doing is kind of writing stuff down that we should do that people say we should do. So I should start another company. Mm. We're still young. I'm really good at it. I, I know how to do it. I could make so much, even more money. That's what you should do. You talk to friends and family or people, they're just like, oh, you, what's the next company going to be? And I almost went down that road, but uh, you know, I wasn't burnt out per se, but at the time I was the CEO when I left uh, the company Fair Harbor, we had like 550 employees. It's just a lot on your brain to be responsible for that, that amount of people. Um, and I just kind of wasn't feeling it, almost started a private equity firm um, here in Park City while mountain biking and skiing a lot. And then someone's like, yeah, we're, we're skinning up the mountain, which is a sport that I picked up here. I had never done it before, where for those who don't know, skinning or backcountry skiing or skimo, ski mountaineering, you skin up the mountain. So you ski uphill with skins underneath your skis. They're almost like almost like felt carpety things that have glue on one side and kind of kind of carpet on the other almost. So you can walk up the, the mountain at the top, you rip the skins off, transition your boots and bindings, and then ski down. So it's a very relaxed, chill sport super fun and one of our good friends in park city is like you know it's going to be in the olympics for the first time in 2026. this is right at my crossroads where i was trying to think about what to do next um and then my kind of psycho brain started thinking like yeah you know i'll do this to myself put little like seeds little inceptions to kind of mess me up for the future and i was like well you know if my family's life depended on it i know that i could make the olympic team at 41. So then I let that sit for like two or three weeks and I would think about it every night, never telling anybody, just kind of thinking like, wow. So I really do believe that I could do that if my family's life depended on it. So what does that mean? I, I don't have intrinsic motivation myself to be able to do that for myself. Interesting. So then I started looking into what the training regimen would be like. And it's basically like a ton of low heart rate stuff, but a lot of volume. And there's a, an inspirational speed skater named Niels Vanderpool, who was a good speed skater, but then won two golds at the last Olympics by putting in 35 hours a week on the bike. Insane, all almost all low heart rate stuff. So I started thinking, huh, what would happen? I'm in this unique situation. We had a company exit, super fortunate to be able to choose whatever we do for the next many years. I've never really had this opportunity to kind of devote myself to sport. I was a decent athlete in high school, captain of like uh, basketball and football teams. And I played tennis, but I wasn't like a freak athlete. I, had, I was like Rudy had to work really hard and, you know, was still just barely starting on the football and basketball team. Um, but I was like, yeah, what happens if I trained like Mill Vanderpool got up to 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week? What would happen and what does that training look like and it looked like a lot of fun playing in the mountains a lot of mountain biking a lot of skiing and it wasn't what i was used to as a football basketball player where you train so hard you're doing wind sprints you're vomiting it's like no it's not kill yourself for 30 minutes it's can you do 30 hours of low heart rate stuff it's, it's a lot of volume so in a unique position to be able to do this while still being a family man i drop off my kids in the morning or one of them, my wife does the other two, and and then I pick them up at three. So you know, I still get so much time with the family. I still can you know hang out around the house, um, and I can check out this goal. And the thing is, like, I have no shame. If I come in last place in the national championships, and you know, I get laughed out of there, I I really don't care. Mm -hmm. I'm really more into it for the journey. Like, I love playing in the mountains. 
And why not have a cool goal? And like, it is kind of like the movie, like Super Size Me, where that guy ate all the McDonald's to see what would happen to his body. Yeah, It's kind of like trading places with Dan Aykroyd and, and uh, Eddie Murphy. Like what happens if can we take somebody off the street and turn them into a Wall Street trader? Um, so just kind of curious, like what happens if I started training maybe almost double than what the field is, is doing? Could I ever catch that? So uh, that, that's, that's what I'm doing. I love that. I mean, the curiosity that you've got uh, is fascinating. I think curiosity keeps us young and it keeps us challenging, right? Uh, I, I'm a big believer that if we uh, stop being curious, we tend to take on what Carol DeWick talks about as a fixed mindset. And that curiosity keeps us pushing forward and keeps us growing. I want to go back to something that you said just a minute ago, though, where you said that if my family's life depended on it, I could do this. I uh, would talk a little bit about where that belief came from. I mean, that is a, that, that's a pretty empowering belief. And then I want to dig into a little bit more about that thought process that you went through to, uh, to talk through your motivation, but where did that belief start? Yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, just growing up, uh, especially looking at sports that take a lot of hard work. So super sprinty sports, 50 yard dash, that's typically, you know, genetic lottery, you know, and, and hard work, but you have to be a complete specimen to do some of these things. Um, a lot of endurance sports are typically hard work. Like you can't be like completely uncoordinated or whatever. Um, but I, I felt like I feel the same way in business. As long as you're smart enough, as long as you're good enough, um, hard work and determination will, will carry you there. And I just know that most people, after reading the, the book uh, Uphill Athlete about all these endurance runners and, and stuff like that, um, and schemo athletes, a lot of them train a lot, but a lot, it's like 20 hours a week. So then hearing about Nils Vanderpool, he does 30, he did 30 hours a week, 35 hours a week. I mean, if my life, if my family's life depended on it, I would, you know, send myself away to Alcatraz or something and just be a psycho for three years to, to save them or something. So yeah, by establishing that high watermark that I, I just, I really do believe that if that's the only thing I did, I know I could do it. The thing is, I'm also all about balance. And a lot of people in endurance sports are like a little bit OCD, a little crazy. You got to be a little crazy. I mean, I, I'll admit that I'm a little crazy, but I really do value balance way more than this goal. Like if this got in the way of my marriage or my kids' lives, or I thought I was effing them up and I wasn't there for them, like I, I would just drop this in a heartbeat. If I thought it was hurting my body, but it's making me a happier person, I'm able to, you know, do it like a job, which I'm so thankful for. And, you know, I, I'm trying to walk that line of I don't want to go and lock myself in a cave for three years just to make the Olympics and, and whatever. But is there a way I could fit this into my life goal of my family coming first, balance, still having fun. I still enjoy a drink, you know, still enjoy good food. And can I lose the weight? Can I still have fun? Can I still be a good father and maybe have something come out of this? And, and that's the thing is I, I want to make clear that I'm not saying anybody can do this. I'm in a super unique situation by not having to work. And I'm just almost doing it like an experiment in a way. Yeah. But what a cool What's the phrase? Go, right? there's, there's that um saying, set a goal so big that you can't achieve it until you grow into the person who can. 
which oh, I love. I love it that. just really reminds me of that. Yeah. Because the journey is about watching yourself transform into this other person who has set this large goal. So you kind of have this linear movement of this personal journey, which is way more fun than getting to the journey. Yeah, 100%. And like, I'm all about these crazy dreams. Like it's been part of me my whole life. You got to have something. I think it's unhealthy if it's the only thing you care about. But it's kind of fun to talk about it. And it's kind of fun to go for it. And I think, you know, you hear this a lot in like self-help books or podcasts and everywhere. And it's just true that like most people are kind of afraid of that failure. So they, they never really say those crazy goals. Like a lot of people have been commenting on TikTok or Instagram or even just like really pragmatic friends. So like, why, why would you call your shot like that? Like, what do you think your odds are, Max? I'm like, I don't know, probably like a good solid 1%. Maybe, <laughs> maybe, maybe 2% chance. Yeah. But like, I'm going to go for that. You know, another big part of this was to show my kids when I grew up and they're in college and their college friends are like, oh, what does your dad do? It's not like, oh, he like used to do a software thing. I, I don't know. He just drinks beer and plays golf all day. I don't I know what he does. As opposed to like, no, like he went for something. And I remember when I was young, like he was like going for stuff. Like, did he ever make it? No, but like, man, like if I can teach them in their, in their formative years that like, wow, he's like going for something. And it's not about winning. It's about trying something hard and not being afraid. That's how you become successful and win at life is like, who cares? Yeah, like, no, even nobody's going to remember. Everybody's laughing at me. It doesn't matter. Yeah, nobody's going to remember your failures. They only remember your successes. And I, I think one of the really cool things about your story, Max, I mean, you remind me a lot of my good friend, Ken Zilstra, uh, who we had on episode 36. And, and Ken had an opportunity where there was a period of his life where he um, was transitioning from a previous role uh, with the company into something else. And he said, hey, I'm going to do this race. Uh, that they do every year. He'd been thinking about it for probably a decade or more. And so he rode from Canada all the way down to Mexico. And he'd been talking about it for a long time and just said, I'm going to, I'm going to call my shot, just kind of like what you're doing. And I'm going to go do it. And there's a lot of value to that, but it's funny that too many people look at something like that and they want to be critical. They want to be practical. They want to be, you know, all of those words to say, don't do this. You're going to hurt yourself. You're going to, they're going to come up with excuses for you almost. Um, how do you continue on with your path in the midst of all of those talking heads? Maybe they're even well-meaning, right? But they're still talking heads telling you that. How do you stay on course? Great question. And, and I, th- I think about it a decent amount. Well, first of all, I always try to empathize with people. So I think I was like decent at sales is like, I really just think about it from their perspective because they're right. When, when, when people on TikTok or Instagram say these endurance sports take years of, of time to build an aerobic base. Like if you were a cross country runner in high school and then in your thirties, you did 10 years of, of professional running. Like it, it, that's insane to, to be able to catch up to that on a logical standpoint. What I say in my head and sometimes respond is like, yes, but no one's ever trained the volume that I'm going to be training. So 
it's kind of like a tortoise in the hair. Could I ever catch up? That's the logical. From an emotional standpoint, I've had a lot of time um, kind of, I guess, being somewhat in the public eye in terms of like, I did this thing called Morninghead that was on Shark Tank. It went viral on Reddit. Um, Shark Tank reaches out and I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm going on Shark Tank for a product with a sexual innuendo in the name. This is not my <laughs> life's work, but like, you're not going to say no to Shark Tank. So went on there, was on Reddit. I was the CEO of our company, you know, got a lot of, you know, feedback through the years on, on social media and whatnot. Um, and it's just, it's just part of the game. And what I try to always think about when you put yourself out there, and a lot of this was, I trained for, I think, six or seven months in secrecy before I put this on the internet. Um, it's just kind of thinking and being ready to catch those sort of negative comments and understanding that people are just coming from their position. If someone's going to make a, a nasty comment about my teeth or something, it's like, that poor guy or is probably just like really sad and angry and like, who cares? Like poor guy, you know, yeah. if someone's like knocking my thing saying that you have no chance of doing this, well, they're just being practical because I have close to, if you rounded 1%, it round down to zero. And so it's, it, it you know, if you were going to bet money on it, I do have no chance, but that's the thing is I, I, I don't need those people to, to help me keep going on my mission. And so something I do and I did it during the company and everything is everything. I believe everything is always unclosing. So when you close a deal with the client, it's going to be unclosing. The minute you get off the phone, they're starting to kind of have second, second guesses, second guessing it. That's human nature. And I think about that with myself. I chose to go on this journey. I had a long conversation with my wife. I'm going to give this a shot for a couple of weeks then a couple of months, I'm going to see you now I'm going for a year. If it keeps going, maybe, and maybe I'll keep going for the next couple of years, but it's really just reselling yourself at every opportunity. This morning I woke up at five, 10, I'm like exhausted. I'm cold. I can't even imagine climbing up a mountain. I check the forecast It's snowing, but it's, it's for me, it's reselling myself. There's a lot of people who are more disciplined than me. I'm more of a motivated person that needs to get psyched up. And my coach tells me often, like, discipline will win every day of the week to motivation. With that said, I know who I am and I'm a person that needs to get pumped up. So I have to kind of resell myself every day before every workout. Actually, today, before after the first interval, I was smoked. I was dry heaving at the top of the mountain. I had three more to do. You just kind of resell. Why am I doing this? Okay, here's why I'm doing this and sort of reselling myself. So I don't need the outside motivation. I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing it for my family. I'm doing it for the dads out there who have the same sort of questions about their own life. I'm doing it for them. I'm doing it for the people who support what I'm doing. A little hate out there, I mean, that's normal and I'm ready for it. So yeah. it's, that doesn't catch me off guard. Yeah, I, I love that because you're, you're talking about the preparation psychologically that I think anybody has to go through when they wanna take on a challenge in life. And then constantly coming back to the reason, what is the why, what, you know, why are you doing it? Because, um, what was it? There was a, a, a verse, I think that said that if you have a uh, strong enough, why you can live with anyone. Right. I, I believe Rick Victor Frankel said that, uh, in man's search for meaning, but I, I'm, I've found over the years that if you have several whys, you can pretty much live with whatever 
you have to do, but sometimes you have to remind yourself of, of that why. I want to go back to set an example for your kids, uh, something that I think about often. You know, as a, as a 46-year-old dad of now teenagers and 20-year-olds, uh, I don't want them to look at me and say, hey, dad gave up in his 40s. I want him to look and say that he was pushing and he was continuing to go in his 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, whatever. Um, talk a little bit about what's happening right now. I know you've got younger kids. What do they think about this? I mean, they're still young. Um, they're, yeah, three, five, and seven. I mean, they're excited about it. They, I, I don't even know if they really remember me being CEO of a company. Um, they're kind of too young to even understand that. Uh, what they see is they see me working hard every day. They understand what the Olympics are. And what's interesting is we've had a couple of cool moments, moments over the last actually few weeks where a five-year-old has kind of asked, uh, yeah, so dad, so are you going to win a gold medal? And I'm like, um, well, I'm working on it. And he's like, I really want you to win the gold medal. And it's a great opportunity to kind of, it's like a softball to kind of explain like, you know, it's not really about that. And they're like, why are you doing it? Well, I'm going to try, but you know what? It's okay. If we don't, um, that's like the biggest lesson that at least they're learning now. If you know, in a couple of years, the lesson might shift, but the recurring theme is they want me to win the gold medal. And I know that that's a very, very difficult possibility. Cause even if I make it past, make it, make it on team USA to begin with, out of the 30 people on team usa only two make it to the olympics yeah and out of the olympics france or uh, france italy switzerland spain are insanely good and they've been doing this for way longer but for my kids i'm just kind of explaining like look it's okay if dad doesn't win and that was kind of really hard at first five-year-old got kind of sad like we don't want you to lose and it's just a cool teaching moment to kind of show them that like life is really about just like working hard because i think that a lot of people really value success and if you value just like putting in the work and doing the stuff then usually good stuff happens on the backside. but if you're just chasing the good stuff it's like kind of insidious like from a company standpoint when we were doing the company or even this like if i was just like oh dead set on making the team or like gold medal blah, blah, blah. Like then let's say I made it. You hear about these things. It's probably like some psychologist talking about it. I've definitely heard about this. There's a term you finish, you get the gold medal and you're just sad as hell. Yeah. Like yeah. you, you have no meaning. Whereas I'm trying to dovetail it in with, I love this journey. How lucky am I that I get to go play in the mountains every day and I'm working hard towards something. But if I fail, totally cool. It's about finding that balance on the way to, on the way there. And what a great lesson! I've to often teach thought the kids, of right. Yeah, I've often thought of um, this, and 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 the way I phrase it is: is two types of success. There's the success that you can control, which is the actual work that you're putting in. You get to set up your schedule, sit down, and whatever it is, you do the work. And then the other part of the success is people appreciating that work, and that's out of your control. So that first success is the one you really, 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 really need to embrace because it's up to you to sit down and do the work. The second success, you don't know if that's going to happen. That's out of your control. And I think oftentimes people conflate the two and don't separate them to see, oh, 
there's some things that I have in my control and there's some things that are out of my control. Yeah, 100%, especially how people will grade themselves in their little internal monologue. Yeah. Right. Um, it should be entirely from you. You know, like, are you proud of yourself? And again, I'm not saying like I'm the best at this. I still like, my wife is very like pragmatic. So like if I, like for example, on day one, when I started doing this, I mentioned the Olympics just to her. And she's like, excuse me, dude, you haven't even started yet. And don't even say the word Olympics for at least a month. Show me that you can work out more than once a week. For, because I didn't come from like, I'm this athlete, like mm, those guys who just work out all the time. My thing was I would go mountain biking once or twice a week for like 30 minutes. So, you know, but so, so that internal thing needs to come from you. And so I know that, that I needed to know why I'm doing this every day. With that said, the, you know, external or the outside, you know, validation is something that's interesting too. And a lot of people who are really good at the first aren't good at the second on, on getting people to kind of follow their story. And so the reason I put myself out there, the reason I'm kind of doing this is not because I really want these people to like pat me on the back. It's more because I kind of think forward into the future. Let's say that I were to make Team USA. Let's say that I pull a rabbit out of a hat. Let's say I even make it to the Olympics and let's say I come in fourth. Well, schemo is a provisional sport in 2026. And provisional sports come and go in the Olympics. They come and then they go sometimes if there's not enough stuff. I'm decent at sales. I'm decent at social media and you know Instagram, TikTok, Reddit. So why not throw myself out there and on the chance that maybe I can grow a following of, you know, 100,000, a couple hundred thousand, half a million, a million people following this sport. So at least people know about it. And let's say I don't make the team. These guys who are doing this, like, the, like if there's a guy in Park City, Griffin Briley. This guy is 17 years old. He's a absolute phenom. He has, if you, I would put my money on him to make it over me for sure. I'm still going to see what I can do against him. Um, but this guy is amazing. How sad would it be if he makes it and nobody knows about the sport? So another part of it is I'm growing social channels to help grow the sport. I absolutely love this sport. I think that everyone should be doing it who skis. If you know how to ski, you should be doing backcountry skiing or skinning, um, at least in some part of your ski vacation. Uh, and yeah, and so that's why I'm kind of also thinking about those other people out there, not for validation, but more just like to help grow this cool sport. Yeah. What a cool uh, way to take your talents and abilities that you've already got and to, to give to people who may not be able to do that for themselves. I want to come back to what you said at the beginning, Max, you talked about that uh, oftentimes people create lists of things that they should do. Uh, we've said many times on the podcast, we call that shooting on yourself uh, because it sounds like what, you know, you typically do when you just layer on piles of garbage onto yourself. Uh, what was different about this list or this particular goal that instead of making it a should do, this became a have to do for you? Yeah. I mean, really this was in the category, like the reason this is definitely not a should do is it's borderline, you know, delusional slash psychotic. <laughs> so I don't think anyone would be like, you should train 30 hours a week and try to be in the Olympics at 
you know, 41 years old. Um, yeah, so that's definitely not a should. But the reason I stopped the other shoulds is, and I've, I've tried to do them over the years, is it really is just the saddest existence when, it, well, I remember this. I, I was working at a company. I was uh, 20 something years old. I was making $100,000 as the sales manager and I really wanted to leave. And on paper, what are you complaining about? And I was like, man, I just feel like I need to start a bigger company. I feel like there's something more. I always kind of, my, my parents were very positive influences and kind of inflated my ego a little bit, I mean, just below cocky asshole. But like, so I'm, <laughs> I'm quite proud That's of awesome. myself and think I can do great things. I think I'm in a movie all the time. So I was like, man, I just feel like, and I remember having a conversation with my wife at the dinner table. It was just the two of us, no kids. So I was like, I need to do something more. And I just remember thinking like, I could stay in this life and be totally fine or I could kind of take that jump. And I love like inspirational stories of people who did that jump. And I remember kind of like, oh man, these people are so brave. Um, with that said, we did it a safe way. I basically realized I wanted to start my own company type stuff, be an entrepreneur. Um, I asked my wife, can I quit my job? She's like, absolutely not. I'm like, okay, uh, well, so we used all my commission checks over the next two and a half years. We paid down, I, I paid down both of our student loans. I paid down both of our cars. Um, I reinstalled a new heating system in our house, like myself, and got our monthly expenses down $2,500 a month so wow. that we could live off her salary. Wow. And then I was like, okay, we can now live off your salary. Uh, we did just took two and a half years. So now we can take a semi-risk-free jump. It's not, we're very risk averse people. We, and you don't think that about entrepreneurs, but my wife and I were not the type of people that would say, okay, we got a six month runway. Here you go. You better, that plane better take off or you're, you're gone. So no, at that point we could retire on her salary just because like Guy Kawasaki's thing, rich dad, poor dad, our assets were slightly more than our expenses. So I was like, okay, well we can, I can leave my, good job and go for something. And if it takes more than six months, it takes more than six months. If it takes six years, it takes six years. It was kind of a risk-free, stress-free way to take that jump. What a great way to think about it. And I, I love how you said that oftentimes people think of entrepreneurs or people who take these big uh, jumps as uh, very risky. And my experience is that's not the case. Uh, many top achievers are people who they take risks, yes, but they're very calculated risks. And the risks that they take, while it may seem to other people like it's a massive risk to them, it's about the same level of risk as what the rest of us take. Um, and that's one of the reasons why they're successful is because it gives them enough runway. Um, you're When you're talking about the Olympics and you're talking about this idea of like taking a jump, it makes me think of my uh, friend Jake Gibb, who he was on episode four with us, and he uh, took a risk at one point and said, Hey, I think I could, uh, play beach volleyball and do this professionally. So he left Utah, went to California, went all in, uh, had a successful career with it and made it to the Olympics. I want to say four or five times, uh, much like you though, he had these conversations with his kids over and over again about that. Hey, it's about, you know, the hard work that you put in. 
he never meddled. And I think that there was some challenge internally with him about that uh, uh, to a certain degree. But at the same time, he looks back on his career and, and is you know very proud of the work that he did. Uh, Max, talk more about as you're going through this and you were to fast forward five years from now, 10 years from now, 20 years from now, what is the hope for your children? What is What are you hoping that they get out of your story? Yeah, I mean, this is just uh, as far as I can see. Um, so, you know, I'm only really seeing, let's say, three years into the future. Um, let's say things go well. Um, I could keep the story going till I'm 45. Uh, so we're looking at eight years into the future. So the kids would be, you know, 15, 15, 13, 11. Basically, it's just more of wanting them to see that I know how to work hard. Uh, I, I, I never worked as hard as I did during the, the company growth of Fair Harbor. Um, I was never, I feel like I was just an A player. I feel like it was just beautiful. They're not going to see that. Um, and I don't really, at this point today, have the energy to do that exact thing again. So the medium has changed, but I, I want them to see me as an A player, um, whether that's just in my training. You know, as they get older, they're going to start to skin with me. Our seven-year-old has already started skinning with me. He is a natural at it. Like our five-year-old, I actually towed him up behind me. Um, but just as, as they grow up, I just want them to see the value of hard work and it's uh, and, and, and going for something. So I think about it a lot, actually. Like, why did I get this sort of gene or how did I earn this? I'm always trying to go for something. I just think about that. I don't want that to get lost from my kids. Um, is it something my parents did? Um, is it a movie I saw? So uh, I'm, I'm trying to just cultivate uh, an environment where that they can see going for something, whether that's something entrepreneurial or something in sport. Um, kind of, I love that underdog story. Like my favorite movie was Rudy growing up. I wrote my college essay about it. I used to give the speech to the football team, you know, before every game, like, just something about that that I want them to to really sort of uh, identify with that underdog story and going for something. Um, so if they if they grow up and that's what they got from this, that like you know the even it was like a two minute montage with the Rudy soundtrack going in the background, some you know some forty year old dude like dry heaving going yeah. for something. <laughs> um, just letting them know it's like okay to to go for something and fail. That's awesome. Talk a little bit about some of the physical changes that have happened along the way. I know you're training to become uh, you know, a performance athlete, and so obviously there's physical changes that have happened, but I know that that has not been the primary focus. But, but what's changed? Great question. So first of all, um, this is might be a little long-winded, but so the general training regimen that I'm doing uh, is kind of like modern endurance athlete training. So it's a lot of zone two or yeah. low heart rate training. So it's high volume um, and in base building season. So basically most of the year, I'm just doing last summer, I was doing 20 hours a week, 22 hours a week, low heart rate. Um, and what that does is it changes something in your mitochondria and it also changes how you burn fuel. Um, it changes. So basically you're more of a fat burning machine than a, a carb burning machine, yep. carb burning machines, like fast energy, but it doesn't last that long. 
um, you know, fat burning machines at these low heart rates, you have virtually infinite amount of, of fats. Um, so it was very strange. And if you read some of the literature on zone two training, you're going to get slower before you get faster. So if you remember last year, I said that I was mountain biking twice a week for like 30 minutes and I was going all out redlining two times, 30 minutes. So I was pretty fast. Um, I was a fast mountain biker for those 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then completely stopped going fast. My body just gets used to going slow, but long. What it, what it did is it, it aided in my recovery. So last year, if I went out twice for 30 minutes, if I went four times for 30 minutes, I would be completely exhausted, dead. Then I did about seven months of zone two training with 20 hours a week. And I didn't feel that much faster. I did some of the same Strava segments as the year before. I'm like 10 seconds faster on a five minute thing. Wasn't that much faster. What did happen was my recovery was insane. So what would happen was if I sprinted for one minute last year, all out redlining, dry heaving at the top of the mountain last year, I'd be smoked for like 15 to 20 minutes. And then I'd feel that for like two days, just from that one minute of redlining and, and dry heaving. Now, if I redline and dry heave and I'm almost throwing up at the top, can't even see, my heart rate is back to baseline in like a minute or a minute and a half. And I'm just like totally fine, ready to do it again. So the general strategy of like what, I, what I'm going for is build a massive aerobic base so that during specific season and threshold season, which is I'm in, I'm in right now, I'm doing intervals five days a week with three and a half hours of low heart rate after. So maybe about 30 minutes, 30 to 40 minutes of like kill yourself work. And then three and a half hours after of like slow. But what's happening is I'm not smoked at all. This morning I was dry heaving up the mountain. Oh, like would have killed me for a month last year. And now I'm back because supposedly when you do high intensity threshold work, it can't really build forever. You have like a two, three month period where like you cash in what you did for the whole year. So I build up this aerobic base for a whole year. Now I'm going to go to the bank, cash it in for a couple months, kill myself. How fast can I do those intervals? How fast can I recover in between? And that's good. And that sends signal to my muscles that, okay, this guy can, recover well and I the muscles grow better. So after after this season, I'll go back into aerobic base building through the whole summer. My base will build at that point because supposedly the only thing you can build on is the aerobic base. Right. The threshold and speed work is like short term, like cash it in, see what you got. Um because otherwise you just start to the muscles start to just die or something like that. Um in addition, like general weight loss, um do you, you want to Jump in, Steve. No, no, I, I love what you're saying. I mean, you're, you're talking about something that I think is really impactful for people. I, I just, the only point I would make here is this is the science of it, right? When you're talking about the mitochondria, when you're doing zone two work, you're, you're essentially bringing, uh, you know, mitochondrial density. So you're putting more mitochondria into the muscle, which means that your muscle has more of these powerhouse in order to work but you're going to get worse before you get better. And far too many people, when they start on any type of plan or program, they start to go backwards and they're like, oh, okay, it's not working. And they give up. But 
what you're discussing, I absolutely love, because when I was working with athletes previously, uh, they got it. But my general population would always push back against me and say, oh, yeah, no, I'm just I'm going backwards. This isn't working. And I would say, no, you know, you got to think about it in terms of seasons, um, because you're right. You build that aerobic base and your anaerobic threshold, your lactate threshold, those things are going to go up slightly over time but really it's about that zone two work so i cannot uh, emphasize that enough that this is you're you're preaching to uh, uh to the right things here for every man out there that needs to hear it they've got to stick with it right oh 100 a lot of the comments i'm getting you know are from from like i wouldn't say non-athletes they're, they're all relatively athletic people who work out and are on strava and stuff um, and there, a, lot, a lot of the questions are around zone two and how can they do it? Well, let's say you have it in your life where you were me last year, you mountain bike or go running twice a week, 30 minutes. That's not bad. That's like solid. How can you add zone two work? If you have the luxury of having a job that has like zoom meetings or phone calls, I used to think walking was for chumps. You, if you're not yeah. dry heaving, if you're not sweating your ass off, you're not you're not working. It's not even worth it. My wife used to try to get me to go for walks. I'm like, what's the point? Let's just sit and talk. It's the same thing. But walking is in zone two or zone one. And if you look at um, some of the training from like Killian Journey, I don't even know if I'm saying his name correctly. He's like the top ultra runner, long distance schema guy in the world for like many, many years. And he publishes his training thing from like last year. I don't remember the exact number, but I'm going to hopefully directionally get it correct. Not only was he like 80% or 90% like zone one and zone two, it was something like 54% zone one. Yeah. So the best guy in the world is like doing essentially what, what would be a walk for us. And yeah. probably even like not even that fast of a walk. So what I say to some friends are like, oh man, like oh, you're so lucky you have all this time. I'm like, I totally am. But in my previous life where I was the CEO of the company, your sales manager, I had time to be on phone calls. I was on, the call, on calls all the time where I didn't actually need to be in front of a computer. If you could take calls and just go for a one hour walk every day, in addition to everything you're doing, you just took your one hour a week to six hours a week. If you can walk for two hours a day, it's insane what will happen. Let's say you run a, an hour long 10K, which is, I'd say relatively fast for an average human being. Yeah. So you run an hour long 10K and you run twice a week for 20 minutes, 30 minutes. If you were to walk for two hours a day while you're on a phone call, that thing would crater down to like 47 minutes just from adding the walking which is so counterintuitive with, to what I grew up on with basketball and football. Yeah. So yeah, I'm super stoked on, on zone two because all, all that 22 hours a week at the beginning, my zone two was so slow that if there was any sort of grade in that I couldn't run, my heart rate would spike into zone three. I had to walk. And there were times where even on flat ground, my jog would creep into, into zone three. And my coach would yell at me like, Bro, you're spending too much time in zone three. Not the right signal. Walk if you have to. So I, for like the first few months, my zone two was a walk, a fast walk, but I was walking around, training 20 hours a week. And then it just starts to come and it's insane, the recovery 
Like even just like, for example, I was a solid mountain biker. I could get into the top 10% on Strava last year. If I ran up two flights of stairs, totally winded. Like yeah. for at least 15 seconds, 20 seconds. Now I'm like, wait a minute. I'm never winded going up these stairs. Like, and yeah, I'm training like a friggin' savage, but a lot of it was just walking around, but super high volume. Well, and you think about that for, for men out there and, you know, you referenced back to when you were CEO or, or running the sales division. I mean, how many people, when they get home from work, whether it's, you know, five, six, seven, eight, nine o'clock at night, then just go to the couch and they sit and they've got time to watch television or they've got time to just waste on social media. Uh, you get out and you go for a walk, uh, finish up dinner, go for a 30 minute walk, go for a 20 minute walk. I mean, that compounds over time. Um, it's amazing what that does to build this overall base. And then what happens vis-a-vis -vis the walking in the zone two cardio, now you start to drop the body fat because your body becomes more efficient at burning fat. And as you just referenced, you're not getting winded going up the stairs, which I think is always funny. You see these guys that go to the gym and they don't do any zone two cardio and yet they have a hard time walking up the uh, the stairs because they're not doing any of that. But the body fat starts to drop. Now, you've made a fairly significant uh, physique transformation at this point. The body fat has dropped. Where where were you before and where are you at now? So I was at about like 200, 205. Um, I'm six feet tall, so I was like 200, 205. Um, just from doing a lot of this walking around, hiking around, mountain biking around in zone two, exclusively zone two. Um, I dropped down to like 185. Wow. Added some muscle too. Um, then I plateaued at 185 for a while. I need to get down to, and this is like freakishly thin just to, because when you're moving up a mountain, like uphill, weight is so important. Like think about it from a mountain biking standpoint or road cycling, like one pound is worth $5,000 in gear. Yeah. So it makes a ton of sense. Um, I'm at 178, 179 right now. Um, to drop those last seven pounds was really difficult because this is getting into a little bit of the nutrition science of, of what I'm doing, but to put in this amount of volume on a weekly basis, like you have to eat enough carbs. You obviously, obviously need your macros and prep protein as well, so the muscles build, but carbs can make you, if you don't have carbs, you don't have enough you know, glycogen in your glycogen stores, you will bonk out. Yeah. Um, and so I know that feeling where, so my coach had me on, on these four hour mountain bike rides, I was eating over a thousand calories per ride, like during the ride, like wow. slamming food to keep me from kind of, and, and the bonking for me was, I think bonking is like actually a term of art. I think it's, a, yeah. I think it means something, but it was basically for me, I'd start to get down and lose my motivation, obviously lose speed, but then my legs started feeling heavy. And then I started kind of mentally questioning why I'm doing this. The minute I got that into that headspace, I'd slam another, you know, stinger or cliff bar or something immediately back on board. So that's how I was able to handle the volume at the beginning at 185. So I stayed at 185 for like six months, could not lose the weight because I really felt like I needed the food to hit the, the, the stuff. Um, what happened was I was able to, my, I think my zone two started creeping up and we, we proved that with a, with a lactate test, um, that my zone two started to change 
And I started to kind of be a little bit more fat adapted after about six, seven, eight months. Um, started eating a little bit less, still topping up my glycogen stores in the morning, eating something like a banana, oatmeal, sugary, carby in the morning, maybe always have it with me if I need it, but see until I started feeling weird. If I didn't feel weird, I could make it to the end of the workout and then add more carbs to backfill for the next day. Um, and I really, my, my coach and my plan was to eat around my workout. So I work out in a five, two schedule, just Monday through Friday. So I eat Monday through Friday, a good amount of carbs around the, around the, uh, the, the, the exercise. The hardest thing is like not eating a lot on the weekends. That's when we get together with friends. That's when, you know, typically beers would flow a little bit more. Yeah. Um, so that was always hard, but I try to really thin it out on Saturday, especially because I don't really need it. I already backfilled the, the glycogen stores Friday night. I'm not working out again until Monday. Saturday is just kind of like need to get my micronutrients and a little protein, but don't really need a ton of carbs that day. Um, so I've been working on that. I'd like to get down to like, like 170 uh, or less uh, by the national championships in March. Um, and I think I'm, I'm pretty much on track to get there. Um, but this, everyone says it and it's so true. The last few pounds, always very difficult um, yeah. to yeah. drop. Yeah, no doubt about it. But you bring up a couple of, of really interesting points, uh, Max, when you're talking about that you you got retested. Uh, it, it's so important. I'm, I'm a, such a huge fan of testing uh, relative to whatever it is that you want to accomplish. If you want to increase your strength, you got to test that. If you want to lose your body fat, you got to test that. If you want to improve your uh, your base or your lactate threshold or whatever it is, just testing and retesting is, is critical because we say we know our body, but the reality is psychologically, we just, we, we think we know uh, until it adapts. And then we keep saying, well, why isn't it working? Why isn't it working? And what I've seen far too many, uh, you know, weekend warrior type athletes do is they say, well, my, that's just how my body is. Well, that's not how your body is. Your body's already adapted. So now retest and then adjust your program based on what your <laughs> testing tells you. I, I don't care if you're going for the Olympics or if you just want to lose a, a little bit of weight, uh, testing and retesting, I think is, is critical. Um, Max, now, uh, most of our listeners are not going to take on a massive goal like you've got right now. Um, but there are people out there that do have a goal. They have something that they want to accomplish. For that man that is maybe just looking to lose 20 or 30 pounds and set a better example for his uh, kids, um, what's some advice that you could pass along to him? Yeah, I mean... I think the biggest thing is one being kind to yourself and being aware of who you are. So I love food and I would even call myself like a food addict. I never really got more than 220 pounds because I think knowledge is power. We always watch the biggest loser. Yeah. Always kind of knew what we were doing. So it's kind of like, I think everybody knows it when they do the things that they shouldn't be doing, um, eating the things they shouldn't be eating. If you don't know about it and you're kind of like doing it with eyes wide shut, that's the most insidious thing at the beginning. So you got to get rid of that. You got to like be aware of what you're doing. If I'm going to slam an entire king size bag of Doritos, like just know what you're doing. Like, I, I love this. I need this right now. And you just do it. You don't try to tell yourself that it's corn. So it's fine. You just got to know what you're doing. I think that's the first thing is just knowing 
what the heck is going on, whether that's food, whether that's, you know, parenting, whether that's drinking, whatever it is. So just being aware of what you're, what you're into and, and what your, your pitfalls are. Like for me, it's like being around friends and like when there's really good appetizers around and the foods aren't measured or whatever, you know, I'm going to slam an entire tray of seven layer dip. I'll <laughs> eat the whole thing. That's awesome. You know, and, yeah. and, and people, they still are like, you're training so much. How are you only, how are you still 185 pounds, 190 pounds? They're like, you must be 140. Like, no, dude, I would just slam food. So first of all, it's just like knowing who you are and being aware of it. Like, cause otherwise it's just, you're, you're cheating yourself. If you're, if you're not admitting who you are, uh, know what your pitfalls are. Like me, I'm not really that into sweets. So I don't need to worry about sweets. I'm never going to put down a whole cheesecake. Um, but I will put down an entire like tray of lasagna by myself. If, 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 you know, push comes to shove. So knowing that first of all, but then second of all, it's like, I'd say one weighing yourself daily is important. Yeah. Uh, just to, to not get, not, not lose sight of, of where things are going. Mm. And then also just like moderation. Um, and I hate that word. Cause it's like, uh, it's so hard to, to, to master because the people who are good at moderation, I'm just like, I don't understand those people. How do they do it? But it is true. It's like, if you're going to have a cookie, have one. If you can do that, then do it. I just say, don't even eat the cookie. I, I can't, I can't even handle in moderation. I'm all about going nuts. So for me, some of my tricks on weight loss are, I find things that taste dirty, but are clean. <laughs> for example, funny. like, for example, what I'm drinking right here is a, um, this is kind of disgusting. And I'd say 75% of people would think this is gross. I love cream of tomato soup, like in the, just in the dirty, you know, cartons, they sell yeah. them in paper cartons in, uh, in Costco and Trader Joe's. I love that. And that has a good amount of carbs because it's sweet. It's probably packed with sugar. It's like not that great, but after a workout, instead of like eating a honey stinger waffle, which I also kind of enjoy, or like a clip <laughs> bar, I'm gonna I'm gonna tickle that, I'm gonna you know scratch that monkey's back with this uh, tomato soup with some protein powder in it, as opposed to like oh I'm gonna have this protein powder and choke it down with something disgusting, and I'm just doing it for try to make your macros hit some, tickle some of those some of those things. Um, so, so like, like that, another one is like taco salad. So yummy. So, okay. I mean, in that shaker bottle, you're telling me you've got tomato soup and protein mixed in it. Yeah. Because first of all, I can't stand protein powder with, uh, sucralose in it. Okay. Or, or the, and, and if you go to GNC, every single one has aspartame or yeah. sucralose in them. Right. Which I'm not like a super health nut at all. I'll eat anything. I'll eat food off the ground. But <laughs> I don't really like. The, I hate the taste of that, okay. and it can't be good for you. So the the, the one I get flavorless uh, protein powder from GNC, and I instead of just like putting it in a coffee, which tastes horrible too because there's no sugar in it. Yeah. Um, I don't really care for sugar. I like on the opposite of a sweet tooth. 
I love this tomato soup. So I just kind of sneak some of the protein powder, which is basically, you know, made from milk product anyway, cream and tomato, sneak it in there. My wife can't watch. I got to do it. I got to tell her to look the other way. But then I just feel like I ate something like super dirty, but this is only like 350 calories. And I got my carbs backfilled and I hit my protein and I'm like partying all the way to the seven layer dip party. I mean, it's, I'm having, I'm walking on sunshine here. That's awesome. like another one I do is I get sugar-free beef jerky. It's basically pure protein Yeah. for some, there's like no fat in it either. Yeah. So instead of like choking down protein powder, these, there's so much protein in these sugar-free beef jerkies. If you just need protein, hit it with that. Um, so I think it's like, especially like a lot of, not to be, you know, do gender stereotypes, but at least in our family, and I'd say a lot often, if this is men listening out there, if your wife uh, or partner does the majority of the shopping, maybe, maybe you need to get on board, at least like take part in the planning of the purchasing or go take over for a little bit and get some stuff that works for you. And it's the same thing with being eyes wide open. Like, otherwise it's too hard. If you're going to eat like super caloric enriched, like normal American trash, you can only eat this much. And if you're a savage like me that wants to eat like a wildebeest, you need to find stuff that hits your, what you're going for. And for me, typically, at least for the training, I need to have high protein, high carbs, low fat, low calories whenever possible. Cause so that's what, that's what my goal is. Yours could be a different one, but then go find stuff that makes you pumped up to eat because dieting sucks yeah. and food is amazing. So when you find something like my wife makes a, this deconstructed egg roll, it's like ground lean pork, cabbage, soy sauce, like mirin or not even mirin, uh, some vinegar or something. It's like super, super low carb, super low calorie, high protein. And you can pound a massive bowl of that. So if you're, you know, kind of gross like me that like, I love like slamming food, like find it, make it work for you. And then it's like, Oh my, I just ate the best dinner. It's like, gave me the same dopamine rush as like shepherd's pie. (laughs) And I ate this much and, but it was 480 calories. And I slammed a bunch of protein. I feel amazing. And I'm happy. And I felt like I got away with something. That's the key, right? You know yourself and you know what you want. And so you're, you're creating these strategies that are going to work for you. I'm, I'm the same way. I know where my, so for me, it's primarily sweets, but every once in a while, I feel like I just need to feast because I work out a lot. I move a lot. I, I don't like to just sit around. In fact, uh, when we started this podcast uh, two plus years ago, I used to sit at a desk. My desk is now raised up so that I can stand because I just have a hard time not moving. But that means that I've got to have my nutrition work for me. And so, um, you know, tilapia, super low calorie, super high protein. And I can load up my plate with tilapia. Sometimes I'm eating um, you know, 12, 13, 14, 15 ounces of tilapia in one sitting. And I feel like I'm just feasting and it takes me a long time to eat my meal. Uh, but when I'm done with that, I think, man, I just feasted and the calories were pretty low. The protein was really high. 
Um, another tactic that I use, like you, where you find your little things that just work for you. Um, I love a good London Fog tea. So Earl Grey mixed with typically what they um, mix it with is milk. But I'll take a little bit of heavy cream because I tend to eat a lot more low carb. I don't do a lot of endurance work nowadays. Uh, and so I tend to eat more low carb. But I'll take a little bit of heavy cream, put it in there, blend that up. And then to get some of the sweetness, I, I found this liquid vanilla stevia that gives me the right amount of sweetness with, with really no calories. And that is the perfect combination. I drink that at, uh, at night before I go to bed. And I just... I'm off in La La Land. It feels amazing. So knowing yeah. what you like, that awareness piece, I absolutely love that because you're talking about a, a high degree of self-honesty and then self-kindness, not saying, well, I shouldn't do this or I shouldn't do that. No, just find a way yeah. to make, make yeah. it work. Fat, right? piece of, fat piece of shit. You, you know, don't <laughs> eat this stuff. It's yeah. like, no. Right. Like that's not sustainable. That's yeah. how you do it for a week. Do yeah. it for two two weeks, do it for three weeks. And then it's like, this sucks. Yeah. That's not fun. It's like, no, no, no. I love food. I'm going to pound food. Yeah. You know, how do I figure that out? Um, and I love the, the teeth thing. I do the same thing with black coffee. Whereas I used to do coffee with all this stuff in it. And I was like, wait a minute. Oh man, that's like 250 calories of coffee. And I'm having like four coffees a day. And it's like, Oh, one last little, little trick here, guys. It's like, Finding things, if you're a creature of habit, so I will sometimes eat the same thing for lunch for like a year yeah, or something, you know? Same. So so if you can find little sneaky things to shave stuff out, like I, oh, I'm a, I'm a mayonnaise hog. I would like drink mayonnaise out of a straw. It's so, if the straw was wide enough to suck through the viscosity, <laughs> like mayo is so good. And I don't understand people who don't like it. Um, but I started looking at how much I was putting on my sandwich every day that I eat every day. It's like a hundred calories. It's like a hundred calories. Yeah. Look at mustard, the equivalent of amount of mustard, which I don't really like as much, but Hey, people, people do it. People like it was like 20 calories. So it's like 80 calories. And let's just for round numbers. Let's say it's a hundred calories that I, that I shaved off there. hundred calories. You know, that round number that people say 300, 3,500 calories is a, uh, is, is a pound of, yep. of, of weight loss. Yep. 35 days just from taking the mayo off, I'm going to lose a pound. Sweet. Do it. Yeah. Like if I have like, Easy you know, a beer, uh, two beers a night, let's say, or a beer a night, let's say 100 calories is a, the delta between a whiskey and a beer. Mm. So the beer is an extra 100 calories. Not super, like I like beer a little bit more than whiskey, but I love whiskey too. So it's like, oh, look, one whiskey a night instead of one beer. Yeah. That's another pound a month. Yeah. And it's like, whoa, I'm not really sacrificing that much. So then I try to like find these little, like little savings. Oh, I always put oat milk in my coffee, 50 calories. Every two months, pound. Yep. Easy. Yep. And I'm not like doing some crash diet. I'm still like having my good sandwich drinking my coffee, get my caffeine high. Yeah, I love that. It really is those simple changes that people make over time uh, that lead to the, the long-term results. Uh, Max, we're coming up on our time, but I wanted to get a few more questions in. Uh, 
just a little bit more about your life and, and uh, some of you, some of the things that you've learned. Um, what is it that you feel like over the past, let, let's say you've been doing this for a year, right? Yeah. What, what is, what's the most impactful thing that you've learned over the last year? Hmm. Uh, I'd say it's from my coach. Uh, it's a very small thing. His name is Joe Hattyshell. Um, he coaches Summit Endurance Academy. And it, it's, I'm such a results oriented guy. So even when I was like slamming, you know, bike, those 20 minute bike rides last year, I would go as fast as I can on Strava to see if I shaved off a second or not. So I love progress. And that was like my, my dopamine hit that like, wow, I'm getting like one second faster. Um, and so I kept asking my coach, I asked him like probably three separate times, um, like, Hey, uh, you know, can we put some things in the workout where like I go as hard as I can for 10 minutes so I can just do a Strava segment on the mountain bike and, and so I can feel the progress. Um, I really wanted to see progress or like, can you help me figure out how I'm tracking against these, um, current world cup athletes? I wanted to see myself getting closer to them. And that was, that's just who I was. And he's kind of helped me change by kind of saying, bro, stop. The best thing you can do is have a goal, make a plan, forget the goal. And that's kind of like, I kind of stole that at the beginning of the podcast, kind of explaining that like, it's really just about the journey. Yeah, I don't even care about the results now because I'm so used to hitting the plan. He's got to he upload my workout every day and training peaks and whether I'm like skinning or mountain biking in the summer. And so I, I, I had to find solace in just doing the work. And listening to audiobooks and podcasts and you know enjoying the mountains and it's and changing from the from being so results oriented to being more like journey oriented and i think it allows you to take a longer view at life and training so what you're saying earlier steve is like man people like don't just go for a walk after work going for a walk after work or a walk during a zoom meeting or if you turn off your camera during work and just walking around, that doesn't feel like progress. You're never going to see a Strava segment of how fast you walked. Yeah, It's that if you believe and read about this zone two training and changing your, your lactate, your lactate threshold or your, your VT one first threshold. Yeah. If you learn all about that and you're like, Oh, this is part of that plan. It's hard for people who used to be X, high school or collegiate athletes to understand this, that it's like, no, I just like put this in the plan, forget about it and just work it into your life. And it's almost like planting a little seed. And then sometime in the future, just like taking the mayo out of the sandwich, just like working in a little walk into your life every day, just like compounding interest before you know it, it's been a year. It wasn't, like that hard. I feel like most people assume, and I assume this, that drastic change takes drastic things. If I'm going to be an Olympian, I need to kill myself so I'm throwing up and bleeding every day. It's like, no, you just need to be consistent and do, a, you know, do the plan. So that was the biggest thing I learned is like, have a goal, make a plan, forget the goal. And just 
find, you know, find that, that make the journey fun. I love that. What scares you right now? Um, nothing really, I guess what scares me is, uh, avalanches. Yeah. So I spend five, five days a week, uh, especially in the back country. Yeah. So there's a persistent weak layer from the November facets that I think about a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, um, airy one certified. So not like a, a backcountry guide by any means, but know enough to be dangerous and spent probably a hundred days in the backcountry. And anytime I go out, like I'm going out on a guided tour tomorrow with inspired summit out of park city. Um, and the guy, Weston Shirley, I know well, and like, I'm, I'm going to be picking his brain the whole time. So I'm always trying to learn more, make sure I stay safe. I ski and skin typically on low angle stuff almost exclusively. So I'm staying safe, but that's, I think about it all the time. And same thing with mountain biking. Sometimes I'm going 40 miles an hour between trees. Uh, I just don't want to, you know, smash myself off a tree or a rock. Um, so the, the primary goal is like making sure I get home to my family every day. So when I go out into the back country, like yesterday I was beneath avalanche terrain, but the avalanche danger risk was uh, moderate, which means human triggered avalanches are likely or are possible, but natural are un uh, unlikely. So I try to keep myself safe out there, but that's, I mean, avalanches are scary. Uh, and I, I yeah. make myself think about it every day. I picture getting buried because um, when you get buried, unless you die of trauma, you get buried for 10 to 20 minutes before you pass out. Mm -hmm. uh, so you got 10, 20 minutes locked in concrete to think about your life before you die. Yeah. So I think about that every day, like what that feeling would be like to be locked in an, in an avalanche before I were to die. So I make myself think about that, uh, scares me to all hell so that I don't ever take any risks and come back every day. Great, great perspective. What are you most proud of right now? Um, I'd say my, my kids and my relationship with them and my parenting and um, obviously, you know, my relationship with my wife as well, but I'm, I'm most proud of my relationship with my kids and, and how I've approached that and how I'll continue to approach it. Just, uh, putting them first and, and I, I, I picture who I'm going to be to them as we grow up, um, as a friend, as a father. Um, and I just think about it every day and I'm, I'm on track and I'm excited about, about that and where it's continuing to go. Yeah. That's beautiful. Well, Max, thanks so much for joining us today. Um, what an amazing story and what an amazing journey that you are going on. And uh, I'm excited to, to watch you go through this. And uh, one of these days, I got to come up there and see if I can skin with you. I've actually never done that before. I've skied my entire life. I grew up here in, in the mountains of Utah. I snowboard now uh, regularly, but I have never skinned. But it, it's been on my bucket list. So now you've inspired me. I got I to gotta come up and uh, see if I can keep up with you, at least for the first 10 feet. Yeah, but you know what? My zone two is probably right in your zone three. So your heart will just be a little bit higher, but I train super slow and I got an extra split board. If you, if you can snowboard yeah. with it too. Awesome. Um, but everyone who comes to visit, 
I take them skinning and it's like, everyone says, what the heck? Why isn't this massive? I feel like it's like mountain biking in the 1980s. It's about to blow up. It's just amazing. If you go on a ski trip, pepper it in one day. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. Looking forward to it. I'm going to text you. We'll, We'll get together. Well, folks, and on that note, it is time for us to wrap up another Evolve podcast. We want to thank our guest, Max uh, Valverde, for joining us today and my co-host, W. Miles Riley. Uh, Max, what's the best best place for people to follow your journey? Where do you want them to go? Uh, you can go on Instagram or TikTok. My handle is uh, at dadbodgoespro. Um, and yeah, that's where I post daily, daily content um, on stories or you know, other sort of videos or tips and tricks on backcountry skiing, about my journey, about being a father, losing weight through training, um, the whole nine. So, uh, yeah, feel free to, to follow if you want to see what's, uh, see what's up. Awesome. And I loved how your daughter had to, uh, say hi on one of your recent stories while you guys were driving in the car and you were going to drop her off. So that, that was yeah, for sure. Well, thanks again for joining us. And hey, remember, folks, it does take time and consistency to evolve. But first, you have to disrupt your life. And now it's time for you to get out there and evolve. And evolve. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Evolve Podcast. Follow us on your favorite podcast app. And if you haven't done so, please give us a rating. As an independent podcast, it really helps us get more reach. This podcast is part of our mission to help millions of people evolve into the best versions of themselves. Please check out our coaching services at evolve-cast.com or pick up some of our Evolve merch. Until next time, keep evolving.